I was shaken, you know, because number one, I was nervous because I didn't know the range. Number two, biggest buck I've ever had underneath me. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. Here with me today is, is Hoyt Pro Staff Manager Evan Williams. And our special guest on the podcast today is Nick Munt from Bone Collector. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, guys. Thank you. You're welcome, man. We're we're thrilled to have you. We uh we just talked to uh T-Bone a couple of weeks ago. And you guys had such an incredible year as a as a crew. Um, we were like, man, we got to go right down the line and talk to these guys. Um, you, uh, you're a guy. We were talking about this right before we jumped on. That uh, you have one particular piece of footage from a few years back where you were stalking a mule deer out in the middle of a wide open. I think it was Milo that you were in, and you yeah. literally snuck up and took this mule deer with a cameraman over your shoulder at like how far was he two yards three yards something like that yeah two yeah he's like two and a half steps yeah super close i literally could have just jumped on him <laughs> <laughs> you just pulled your knife out and done that too i mean yeah that made cool I thought about it <laughs> dude i've i've been envious of that ever since i saw it and i've i've met you years before uh that took place but i've since that happened, I've really watched you a lot. I've kind of stalked you on social media and stuff. And man, you are the, you are something else with a bow. Uh, like well, you make it happen. And this year, just tell us a little bit in the beginning here of of what your year looked out, where it, what it looked like, where it started out. Well, so this year, um, the last few years, we've been going to Utah and we've been starting um, at R&K Hunting Company and uh, been chasing velvet mule deers, you know, the, the opening of the season there, August 15th. And it's just a really a fun hunt, um, but it's tough. You know, you see all the you see the videos on TV of, you know, people going to Utah in August and people shooting these big bucks, but it is not easy. I mean, it's not like one of those places where you go where there's bucks running everywhere and you just got to pick the one you want to kill. I mean, it's really tough hunting, you know, it's steep, it's rugged, it's hot. Um, it's open country and it's tough to get on these deer and they can see and, and obviously hear really well cause they have giant ears, but, um, it's just a really tough hunt. And luckily enough this year, I was able to shoot a, um, a 26 inch wide, real heavy horn, uh, basically a three by four. Mm -hmm. Um, and I shot him on the fourth day of the hunt and we had been on some really big bucks. The beginning of the hunt, I was on a, a really big deer that was up high and he was in the, in the timber. Uh, but it's just so hard to hunt him in that timber. You know, once they, once they leave the open and get into the thick trees, it's so hard to get on them. So we spent about three days chasing that deer, but you know, it just kind of, you know, the way we do it is different. We hunt five, six days here and there. We just go to the next spot. So you can't really spend too much time on one deer and you can't really um, just try to target one deer. You just, you know, if a decent one comes by, you shoot it. And we all yeah. like to shoot, you know, and so that's kind of how it happened. So we moved locations and that very first morning going in, we spotted these bucks on the horizon and uh, we actually drove by them with the pickup. And uh, then we just kind of made you know, made the sneak back around and came up over the top of this hill and they were all standing there. And, and I made a quick shot at about 46, 47 yards and um, was able to, you know, make a really good shot in that bucket. He literally went 20 yards and tipped over. And so super exciting. Um, Michael was on a big, a big, you know, 190 inch type buck um, mm -hmm. that same day and got close a few times. And um, it's just kind of a roller coaster ride out there. You never know if you're going to get one. And yeah, um, you know, you see a lot of deer, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of action that way because in the mornings at daylight, you're seeing them, they're feeding and moving towards the timber. And so you always feel like there's hope, but it's really tough to get close. And, and over the last, you know, five or six years, I've increased my shooting range, you know, about probably six years ago. Now I kind of turned the corner and, you know, became really, um, confident in shooting a long ways. And so, you know, if you're a guy that, that hunts the Midwest, you know, particularly, and then you go out to say Utah or, you know, one of the Western states to, to pursue antelope or mule deer or elk. Um, and you're only used to shooting 20, 30, 40 yards and a 40 yard feels like a long shot. Well, 
your odds go way down. So right. if you can, you know, if you can proficiently make a 50, 60, 70 yard, yard shot, um, you increase your chances by, to me, you know, 60% or more. Yeah. And, and that, uh, that's the key is proficiently. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, exactly. I really started practicing heavy at home. And um, now when I go out to shoot, I don't, I don't really, you know, fart around much at 20, 30 yards to begin with. I kind of start at 50 and 60 and make those shots and back it out to 100 and 120 yards. And, and uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily shoot at something 100 yards in the field. But um, I feel like now, you know, if I see a deer and he doesn't know I'm there and he's either feeding or moving through an area and, you know, I feel like I, if I can get a shot off at 70 yards, you know, I'm definitely going to get an arrow into him. So that's just made a huge difference for me in my shooting. And it all really boils down to, um, and I think, you know, I think as a bow hunter, you know, um, setting goals and, and seeing yourself be successful is a huge, is a huge thing. And so when you're out in the yard, you know, you're shooting around trees, you're shooting through gaps and brush, you're sneaking up behind a wood pile and coming over the top and making a 50 yard shot on a bedded, you know, you have your, you have your target out there, like it's a bedded deer and just putting yourself into these scenarios and, and visualizing your success. Right. I think that makes a huge difference. And for people that don't have the chance to hunt a lot of different places, like we do, ultimately, you know, we're just super blessed and, and lucky to get to do this, you know, after, after being 20 some years in the industry, um, I just think that practice and, and that positive mindset and just being able to visualize each shot, you know, when I go to a place like that, I just really just tell myself, I'm going to get a 70 yard shot. I'm going to get one shot. I'm going to get one shot. I'm going to get one shot. And so coming back to the, to the cabin in the middle of the day, you know, yeah, I get a nap, but I shoot for an hour every day, right. just yeah. waiting for that one opportunity. Because to me, the difference between, the top 10 percenters that get the job done and killing the big deer and getting it done successfully. Um, those are the guys that are going the extra mile to practice, um, to put themselves in that, in that situation. And, and I always like to visualize and, and it's just helped me so much, you know, and once you've yeah. shot a lot of animals, you can visualize that success and sealing the deal, man. It's all about sealing the deal. And there's just a small percentage. I feel like a guys that on a regular basis are going to seal the deal. You know? Do you feel like, the uh the the especially the distance practice and really starting to concentrate on that is what helped you turn the corner uh five or six years ago because i personally feel like and i tell people this all the time i do a ton of practicing at 100 yards um mm -hmm. and maybe even further sometimes but the majority of my practice is probably between 80 and 100 yards right in that range and my hope, it's not because I want to shoot animals at 100 yards. I'm, I won't hesitate to take a follow-up shot. But a, an initial shot, there's so many things that I feel like can go wrong in that 100-yard stretch. It's too much time for an animal to be able to move. Absolutely. However, if, if, if I'm used to shooting 100 yards all the time, when a 40-yard shot happens, all of a sudden now it feels like a chip shot. That, that's yeah. what it does to me mentally. Um, yeah. And is, is it the same case for you? Is that kind of what turned Absolutely. the corner for you? Absolutely. You know, and years ago, you know, when I, when I wasn't shooting those long shots, um, when that long shot would happen, you know, I'd, I'd draw and stick my pin on them and that thing's moving all over the place and it's tough to get settled. But now, you know, when you're used to putting that pin on and getting settled on a target at 70 to 100 yards, you know, those 30 and 40 yard shots, especially shots that have to be fast. Yeah. Um, it allows you to settle your pen a lot better and then, you know, execute the shot and follow through. And, and, um, it's just made a huge difference for me. Just literally just shooting at long range, just watching the flight of the arrow and, and follow through. And, you yeah. know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a tournament shooter, so I don't have all the fundamentals that the tournament guys have squeeze your shoulder blades together, all that stuff. I, I pretty much, you know, come with the same, mindset as a rifle guy just squeeze my trigger and you know you'll see when i shoot you know i don't have the greatest form in the world when i'm when i end up shooting i still got my bow arm up you know i don't you know pull my arms back like some of the guys out there and you know i don't have the greatest form in the world but i feel like um if a deer is is um you know if he's on alert and he's standing there feeding or just kind of hanging out at 60 yards i mean I feel really good that I'm going to hit him right where I'm aiming. You know? So it's just, right. it's made a huge difference for me. You know, the, the practice at long range. 
Well, yeah. great, great form is consistent form. And it doesn't matter if it's ugly form as long as it's consistently ugly. And that's done in practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and I've also, you know, I've also wanted to get with some guys that are better. Like T-Bone's a great teacher because he was a tournament shooter. And, and uh, so I, you know, I need to get with him a little bit more and, and it would just make me a, a better shooter yet. You know, I feel like I can get it done, but I definitely feel like I have room, you know, um, to improve and um, guys like T-Bone or, you know, he's just so good at it that he can just walk you through it. Like he's a great coach, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you said that that makes a ton of sense to me, and it, it's it's funny because, I, you know, I don't know how long I've been doing this now, but you get on streaks where you do pretty well and, and you start to feel pretty good about yourself. And then all of a sudden you have a year that comes along and just humbles you. And yeah. Um, and the shooting when you're out there in the field, like you, you mentioned going to this camp and going you know a lot of the guys going and taking naps in the middle of the day and you might go take a nap but you're going to go shoot for a half hour an hour in the middle of that day and doing it consistently while you're on the hunt i have been guilty before of not doing that and what it does to you is well number one just changing elevations coming from one place up to the high Rockies, you have differences in how that arrow flies, especially if you have a heavy helical on your arrow. Then number two, when you throw clothes on that you're not used to practicing in all the time, that can affect you drastically. And a lot of times just taking those practice practice shots in the middle of that hunt is all that it, it makes a gigantic difference in when you get that one opportunity and being able to seize that one opportunity. But have you always done that? Or is that something that you really started concentrating on in recent years? You know, I've always kind of done that more in recent years, especially, you know, not quite so much on some of the, some of the later in the year, whitetail hunts, because most of your shots in those whitetail hunts are 20, 30, 40, you know, so not quite so much. I still, I still shoot quite a bit, but when I'm on the hunts that, um, you know, when you're out West, typically, you know, mornings are mornings end quick, you know, so you're off, you know, you're done hunting by nine, 10 o'clock, everything's bedded. Then you got all afternoon. Um, and so, you know, like last year when Waddell and I were there, we just, every day we were out there shooting 70, 80, 90, hundred yards together, you know, just kind of challenging each other and, um, just sticking them in the target and could just, just knowing that, you know, sometime during that week, that, that 60, 70 yard shot, it's going to present itself. And, um, it's a lot easier to get to 60 or 70 than it is to 20 or 30. So, you know, I just think it's, I just think it's just so key. It's so key. But but then another thing, like you were saying too, um, you know, when you're hiking, you're bouncing around in pickups and four wheelers and side by sides, you know, you got to make sure your gear's on because that's rough on your stuff. Now when you're whitetail hunting, you typically go back and forth to where you're staying and, and you know, you're not doing all this stuff, but when you're out there, I mean, you, jump in the truck, you drive somewhere, you get out, you get on a side-by-side, you bounce up some rugged road, um, you get out, you hike a few miles, sometimes you carry your bow. A lot of times I carry my bow, I don't I don't put it on a, a sling as much. But if you got it on a sling, it's bouncing off you. you know, it just gives you that peace of mind that knowing that your gear is set and ready to go when the moment of truth happens. And if you're going back to camp every day, um, perfect example of that is this year I went to Wyoming um, I took my whole family out there and we, um, we hunted whitetails first. I shot a really nice, big, heavy whitetail buck on the very last day of that hunt. It was five days. I shot him on the fifth day. It was 99 degrees when I shot, when I shot him. Wow. That day. Wow. And, uh, so then after that, we had a, a camper that we uh, borrowed from a buddy of mine that has a, a camper dealership. So we went up into the Bighorns and I had a tag up there in unit 45, which took me 11 years to draw. So we went up there and, um, you know, it's rugged country and you got to get, you got to get off the road quite a ways to get into the elk. And so the first couple of days, you know, we're, um, riding four wheelers back and then walking four or five miles back in. And we were on some elk, saw elk everywhere. A lot of nice bulls. Then on the, I believe it was the third or fourth day of the hunt, we decided to switch. So we loaded up the mules and we got in and we rode back. And so you know, we were out hunting all day. And so I just really didn't have a chance to shoot my bow, which really, I don't like that. Cause I just really like to shoot on those hunts, you know? And so, um, we rode in and, and 
uh, tied up the mules and we went for, we got about a half a mile down in there and my guide, Michael said, Hey, we're going to, you know, call off of this edge. So you sneak up to the edge of this. There's a big, it was was a a select cut area that Mm -hmm. a big tornado had gone through. So there's all these deadfalls everywhere. And it was just elk crap and sign in there everywhere. I mean, just loads of elk and this stuff because tons of feed coming up. Yeah. So I kind of got to the edge and we were about a hundred yards from the edge of the thick timber and there was a Canyon. So we bugled and a bull bugled back, cut him off right away. So I ran up, got set and he started cow calling and the bull just came right out of the timber and he just came walking right to me and there was a big deadfall in front of me. So when the bull went behind this deadfall, there were some branches sticking up that had, um, um, pine needles on them. And when he got behind that, I just started drawing real slowly. Well, I got to full draw and he noticed something. So he stopped and I was just sitting there and it literally was a full minute. And about 40 seconds in, Michael ha- didn't know where the bull was, but he bugled a few times coming. So he knew he was coming. So he right. cow called again and the bull took just a step forward. Well, then that gave me his shoulder, a tiny bit behind his shoulder and his head sticking out. He was facing, as I was looking at him, he was facing to the left. So at this time I was at full dry and had long enough to think about it. And I thought to myself, okay, either I got to let down and it'll be over, or I can try to stick it, you know, in that little gap there between the back of his shoulder and the tree. And so there was about a three inch window there and he was only 25 yards. And so I thought, well, heck, I can just stick it right in there pretty easy. So I shot, um, just smacked him right in the shoulder bone, snapped my arrow off. He ran out to about 75 yards, stopped, was just looking around. Um, and so I got another arrow knocked and I drew on him. I arranged him first, knew he was just over 70, you know, dialed up. And I'm like, oh, I can kill him right there too. And then he just had some branches on his vitals, so I didn't take the shot. But then he, then I watched him walk off. I mean, I could see him 250, 300 yards. Yeah. Well, after that, I was just really like frustrated because I knew that was a possibility. Yeah. But I, I said to the guys, I said, guys, I think my bow is just a little bit off. I do. So I, we went over and there's all these big downfalls, but the root balls pulled up out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have an arrow in my quiver with a, a field point. I went back and I shot and it literally was shooting six inches to the left. And I just, yeah. for, and for you know, no I don't know. Reason. It just happens. It just yeah. It, and, and, you know, bouncing around the last yeah. three or four days on horseback and on four wheelers and walking, it just, you know, it just, just got out of, got out of whack a little bit. And so that was a perfect example why, you know, it's great to shoot in the middle of the day, but when you're on the mountain all day long, you know, sometimes yeah. you can't do it. And so it, it did cost me, um, you know, it was just an unfortunate deal. If he would have just come out another six inches, I would have killed him. But, and he was a nice bull, you know, he's a 315, 320 type bull. And oh, that's a beautiful so it, bull. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And so for me, I mean, that's a, I'll shoot that bull any, anywhere I go pretty much, you know, that's just an awesome, awesome bull, but it was a great hunt. He came walking in and then you know, the sad part is, is, you know, you can't really use the footage cause they don't want you showing that on, on TV. Right. Right. Um, but well, it happens to all of us, you know, it, it's, it's good seminar footage. This is what you yeah. don't do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let, let exactly. people learn. I've yeah. got lots of great seminar footage. That's um, right. But you know, with, with elk, it, it's, it's funny. I always, I, I've been the guy who gets excited. That bull is coming at you for, for whatever reason, that particular species just does something that melts me down really bad i'm way better when i've got a situation where all of a sudden something happens quickly and i've just got to react and i don't have time for my head to get involved with Mm -hmm. an elk that is bugling his way into you it's like he's he's saying here i come here i come same thing happens with turkeys with me uh, incredibly but they're saying here i come here i come here i come which is giving me the time to get my head involved and to overthink things and on elk, it's you're an experienced elk hunter, and you know it is vitally important to pop both lungs to get both lungs yes. on that elk. Um, more so, in my opinion, than any other game animal I've ever hunted. Um, if you don't get both of them, you you've got a fifty fifty chance whether you recover that animal. You know, yeah, and yeah, you got sure. you got to be accurate, and you've got to you've got to be smart enough to be patient to wait for the the right shot. You know, and I think a big thing with elk too is, and any animal you're calling them for that matter is, 
they're coming in alert and looking for what's bringing them in. Right. Yep. And so any little movement, they're keying on it. And, you know, if you don't have specific spots ranged, I mean, that's the first thing I do when I get to a spot is just range a bunch of stuff so that I know. And elk are so big that if you don't have the ranges figured out, you can misjudge the range, the range very easily. And a bad shot, you still probably hit them. Yeah. You know, if you think he's 30 and he's 40, you know, you're still going to probably hit him. But if you don't get it in there, like you were saying, it's just, yeah. they're just a really tough critter. And, and uh, so knowing your distances, knowing, you know, ranging spots before they get there is so key because once they get into, you know, where, where you can see them, they can see you. And if you're moving, it's over. So yeah, that's, a, that's to me, one of the, the toughest things about an elk coming to a call is they're looking for movement. They're looking for something alive. And uh, you just can't tell you how many big bulls you've had chances at. They just didn't get the shot, you know? Yep. Yep. So They're, with that in, in that calling experience, do you guys use a decoy system with your caller just to get their attention and pull it away from the archer? Or are you even that close? You know, I just have never, I just have never used decoys in elk situations often. I know they work well. Um, I think the best to me, the best decoy and, and Waddell and I have conversations about this all the time. The best decoy in any situation is a, is a male decoy. I, I truly believe, I mean, white tail bucks, mule deer bucks, elk. I mean, they want to come and, and if they see another bull or a buck in their area, they're pissed and they want to come in there and get rid of it. So I think, a, I think a, a bull bull or, or a male decoy of any kind is the best, but I haven't used decoys much just because it, just extra something to carry in the field. And usually, usually stuff happens fast and you might not be able to set up a decoy, you know, right, um, yeah. now if you're hunting and if you're hunting in areas that are super rich in elk, like for or, you know, out there in Utah with some of those guys, um, you you got a completely different situation because you're not as worried about blowing elk out. You know, you can go from, go to one Canyon and there's 10 bulls bugling, you blow them out, you just go to the next Canyon and there's 10 more bulls bugling. So, yeah, um, but mostly elk hunting I'm doing. You know, if you get on a herd and you blow them out, you're pretty much done for the day. So, right. so that elk hunt happened just after you took the. It, it was in Wyoming, and it was just after you took that big whitetail. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. And so, tell us about that whitetail a little bit. That it's a big, wide, gnarly, heavy uh, buck. It it was really cool. Um, I actually had been hunting another big ten pointer, and I got on him. Um, Let's see, I got on him the third and fourth day, the second and third afternoons of the hunt. Um, the first afternoon, he came down off the mountain. I was on this little road, and he came down into the timber with me. And um, he stopped at about 18 yards, but he was behind a bunch of brush. And he had a fly in his nose. He was sneezing and jerking his head around, and, and he took his back leg, and he was tickling his nose. Well, all of a sudden, he just took off and just took off running like to get away from this fly and ran right by me. I didn't get a shot <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was perfect. I mean, he was just coming right up the trail, you know? Yeah. So the next day I said, all right, well, I'm going to get in the same stand and see what happens. So sure enough, I see him come down out of the timber and they got across this big meadow and, and actually it's crazy, but it's right on the edge of the, of the ranch yard. So the ranch house and the ranch buildings are kind of off to the left and he comes down off the building and he's coming and he trots down through the field and he comes up on the, and he's got to cross this little, their driveway, little road to, to come and get into the trees again with me in the Oaks. And he gets up on the shoulder of the road, stops, looks around and the lady lets her dog out of the house. <laughs> and he just <laughs> comes running barks and runs him. Like literally I could see him running this deer for a mile and a half. Oh. I mean, so at that time I was like, well, this is over. And literally he was going to do the same thing. He was going to walk right. I mean, I know, I know I was shot him that night. He was going to come right down a little two track that I'm set up on. And we'd watched yeah. him go down there. You know, uh, the guys had watched him in preseason going down there every day. Yeah. And uh, so I was just heartbroken. So then, so then I switched to a different property. Um, the deer were funneling through these, you know, coming off the alfalfa funneling through these oaks. I was set up in an oak tree and um they got by us um the morning and the next evening and then the last morning of my hunt um i had 50 does come by me i've got a little string a little piece of yarn that's about eight inches long that hangs off my stabilizer so i can always see where the wind's going wind and the wind was kind of at my back but i could see my windicator was straight in the air 
So the wind was blowing up and it was taking yep. my thermals up. Yeah. And so the deer were just filing underneath me and the wind was swirling around. I was like, oh my gosh, when's this going to end, you know? So finally I could see like the last five does were coming off the field and my buck um, was right behind them. Very last deer to come off the field in the morning, which is weird, full velvet. And as the does started to come, my uh, piece of yarn went down <laughs> and blew right at them and they, they took uh -oh. off. And my buddy Kenny, who was our guide, he was sitting out there in his pickup watching. He said the deer went up around behind us and went up into this deep canyon that goes up towards Devil's Tower. Yeah. So he said, all right, well, we know where he's at. Let's come back this afternoon. We'll get a stand up and he's got to come down that canyon. You know, we'll, we'll get him. So we go back there in the afternoon. We get there at one o'clock and the buck is already making his way to the field. He's almost to the field when we get there. <sighs> so we drive down, we run him back up in the trees. And Donnie, one of the other guys comes up in his pickup and he's, he's, he's been, he's was down there too. And he says, he's down there already. I said, well, no, we saw him. We just ran him back in the trees, you know? Yeah. So, so Kenny said, so I said, we think we should do. So Kenny said, all right, so Donnie, you drive down the fence line, you go park your truck down there. Cause they're wanting to come back out already to get to this alfalfa. So you park your truck there. We're going to run up on this North end. Cause they crossed the Belfouche river in two spots. So yeah. you go down there, you park your truck there and just sit. We're going to come and hang a stand here quick. And then we're just going to keep guys down there by the other trail so that they want to come and maybe cross this trail. And, you know, we've tried stuff like this a million times and it never yeah. works, you know, yeah. <laughs> they go yeah. and cross the river halfway between you or something. Herding cats. So, and literally it was 99 degrees that day. So I haul butt, I hang these two sets really quick. Kenny's handing me the stuff. I hang my stand, hang the camera guy stand, pull up all the camera guy stuff. He climbs in, we get the cameras and stuff all set up. Kenny goes down. And, uh, so then he drives down the fence line, um, but on the, on the opposite side of the river from where Donnie was. So he motions for Donnie, you know, get out of there. So Donnie comes, the deer come out and they start going towards that trail. Well, Kenny just backs his pickup up a little bit down to get into this corner and they see him and they kind of tr trickle back into the trees. They bed down. And it, I mean, it was just like, this is never going to work. I mean, this yeah. is just so dumb, you know, it, it's just all so stupid. And so he parks down there and, um, actually, uh, chance was a kid that was, was helping guide too. And so chance got out of the truck and he's walking around kind of down there so they can see him. And I mean, it was just crazy. So all of a sudden the deer kind of get up and they start filtering down to the field going back there. Well, then they see the truck and chance kind of walking around. So then he turn, go back in the trees, come up the corner of the trees, <laughs> come across the field follow the trail and, and you know it was a long shot it was 51 yards to the trail but he came up there and looked down to where kind of where the pickup is now and they're 600 yards down you know yeah and he just kind of looked down where they were and i drew and shot him and i mean i couldn't believe it happened it was like complete chaos and just one of those deals where you know that stuff's never supposed to work and it never does but it just, i just got so lucky it was, yeah yeah it was wild you know so sometimes sometimes the hunting god smiles on you and yeah it just it just happens um have a golden horseshoe yeah, yeah that's, that's right exactly right yeah so, it was just crazy so I, I was just flipping through your instagram while you were while you were telling me about this and like i'm itching to get to the big deer story that is coming <laughs> um oh yeah but but there's a couple other ones that happened in between this and and the big deer isn't there a couple other stories <laughs> yeah so um after after wyoming um i got the invite from hornady to go on a rifle hunt out to wild country outfitters which is in utah were you and, in uh, yeah and basically you know elk paradise like the yeah. craziest thing you could ever and i asked them if, if they'd let me bow hunt and they said no you got a rifle hunt on this one <laughs> so, uh, so the place is just phenomenal. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's just like heaven on earth. I mean, there's just so many elk and yeah, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's just, uh, literally each Canyon has five to 15 bulls being on it. I mean, it's just crazy. Oh man! So I went there first, first day of the hunt. Um, we get back in this Canyon and we find, find two bulls that they score about the same, probably right at three forty, which is a big bull for there. You know, they're, they kill a few bulls, maybe in the three fifties every year, but it's not a three seventy eighty type place. Yeah. Um, you know, their top end is three forty fifty probably, but, it, yeah. but, but tons and tons and tons and tons of three twenty to three thirties, you know, I mean, just right. Like, 
So uh, we find these two bulls that are both close to 340. One of them's got huge, heavy tops and really long, big, huge tops. The other one's just the opposite. He's got kind of small tops, but huge fronts. Yeah. So they're fighting and carrying on. They've got cows and other bulls are coming and going. So I kind of make my mind up that I want the one with the big, heavy tops. And so we just, you know, just farted around and farted around looking at them and watching them. And then they finally went into the timber. So then we decided to go after him. We just circled around and um, followed him into the timber. And, and um, he actually went off the property for a little bit. There's kind of a big L shape um, from the other property that comes in. He kind of went across the corner, but got back into us. And then um, we got in, cow called a couple of times. He came right to us, but he was only, you know, 30 yards through the timber, but he wouldn't come any closer. My camera guy couldn't see him. So I couldn't shoot him there. So then he left, went up the mountain, we circled up and then we were just walking up this road and a cow came walking over the hill and saw us and she kind of blew out a little bit. Well, when she did, the bull must've thought we were another bull because he came running and bugling right to the edge. And yeah, you know, I ended up shooting, shooting him at 30 yards with a 300 ultra mag. Oh um, man! But, yeah. but it was awesome. You know, he's a he's a great bull. I mean, it's it just, is super cool. But knowing a guy like you, I I I know that you were sitting there. Oh man, I wish I could have shot him with my bow. I know. Yeah, it, but, you know, you know, that, and that Hoyt would have been my hands. I know. Uh, I would have. You know, and it was just an easy. He's just standing broadside, wide open. It would have been a chip yeah. shot. You know, but uh, really a great hunt. Just a phenomenal experience. You know, I've never been. I've been some good elk hunting places, but I've never been to a place like that. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's what people would think of when, you know, when you want to go to heaven on earth and, and find a, a elk hot spot that like literally some, there's some mornings you can just hear 50 bulls being down through the valleys. Yeah. And yeah. I literally that day, I literally heard from the moment I opened the truck door till the moment I got in that night and closed the door, heard bulls all day long. I right. mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a five minute span where there wasn't, wasn't a bull bugling. And cool part about it was after I shot my bull in the morning, we got it off the mountain. Yeah. One of the other people in camp, you know, one of the other Hornady reps shot one. So I went and got their bull out. So the next morning I got with a guy named Wayne that owns a chain of stores in um, Montana, Idaho and Washington. I went with him. Uh, we killed him and his biggest bull ever. So then after we got his bull off the mountain that evening, we were just kind of standing by somebody else got one. We went and got their bull off the mountain. So the next morning I went with another guy. Um, he didn't kill a bull that morning, but that evening we went and helped somebody else get their bull out. Next morning we killed a bull for, for that guy. And then that evening I went and helped um, the outfitter, their, uh, their dad, Tom, he killed a bull and we helped get that bull out. So I killed a bull and helped get six or seven bulls off the mountain. It was just phenomenal. I mean, it was just yeah. an unbelievable place, you know, and that's where, that's where Cameron Haynes goes and, Levi Morgan and a lot of the guys that are, you know, sponsored by uh, some of the companies that have leases there with wild country. And right. gosh, I mean, I don't think I'll probably ever get to go again. Cause they have so many people that they like to take on that hunt. Oh my gosh. Right. It was just awesome. Yeah. Just great. Well, and for your average guy that, you know, I, I, I'm one of the guys that most of the places that I elk hunt, if, if I get into, if I hear bugles that day, it was a pretty good day. You know, absolutely. What I mean? absolutely. If I hear one or two, you know, and get yep. into proximity, it's a pretty good day. So when you do have an opportunity to go to a place like that, and I, I, I have, I've gone to a couple of places, the bulls aren't as big at these places, but, um, you know, where you're just hearing elk bugle all day long. Yeah. You know, people it, talk it, about, if you don't hear yeah. 50 of them that morning, you know, 50 bugles, it was a slow morning and, and it's real easy to get spoiled on that real quick. You know, it's, yeah. it's not reality for most elk hunters. Well, and the guys that have never hunted elk before, you know, they're hoping to go on a bow hunt and shoot a 340, 350 bull. And it's just really tough. That's a huge bull. I mean, I've killed, I don't know. I think I've killed 14 elk in my, in my life and you know, majority of them were with a bow, but you know, it's just, it's really tough. My biggest bull, I got two that are right close to 340. And man, they look like freaking giants when they come in, you know? I mean, yeah. so it's hard for me. You know, I don't, I don't see unless I'm, you know, unless I draw some ridiculous tag, you know, Arizona or something, I, you know, I can't pass up a 320 bull, you know, it's just. No. Yeah, I completely know. agree. I like to shoot. <laughs> yeah. well, and we know you have the ability to draw Arizona after your tag last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, two years ago, yeah. 
Well, it was two I, drew, years, I, yeah. I drew that Arizona strip tag and shot a two two twenty six there. That was a, just a crazy oh, deal yeah. too. Giant muley. Yeah, and that was another one of those deals right there. Going back to shooting in the middle of the day every day, I was. I just told myself I'm going to get one chance at 70 yards, and so I ended up shooting him at like 65 yards and um, had to make a quick shot. But you know that was uh, all all attributed to just shooting in the middle of the day every day out there. So yeah, that yeah. was pretty special. So after your after your Utah elk hunt, you went to the Sand Hills, didn't you? I did. Yep, I went with uh, Deer Meadows Outfitters out on the Sand Hills there and. Those guys have built a really neat place. You know, they don't shoot any immature deer. They won't let any of their clients, you know, they've kind of taken on, you know, typically when you're hunting um, in the West, guys just get to shoot the buck that they really like, you know, and it doesn't matter if he's old or young or whatever. And so these guys have just done a really good job at only shooting mature deer. And so they've got a lot of mature bucks um, and you see a lot of deer and they've managed them well and they feed them through the off season to keep them healthy. Um, and you know, it's just one of those places that, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of deer because the deer numbers there are just fantastic. And so we went in the first morning, um, to a, to an alfalfa field and there was 70 deer spread throughout this big alfalfa field that had a center pivot in it. And it was, it's a big field, you know, you're talking probably 150 acre type field right? with the hills all around it. And so we were watching this particular buck. He was, a basically a big four by four had kind of short fronts, but his backs had two or three stickers on each side on the back. And, um, and this just is an mule, awesome big mule, big mule deer, buck, right? Yeah, yeah. Big mule deer buck. And so that, and that tag is, is either whitetail or mule deer though, right? Either or. Yep. And they pretty much specifically target mule deer, but you run into to whitetails out there in the sandhills too. And then he's just kind of started, he's got a few, he's got a few ranches that he leases that have a lot of whitetails. And so he's been doing the same thing with them. He's, uh, really hasn't let people hunt them. They've just been growing them up. So he's got a lot of big, mature, old bucks on some of his whitetail stuff that he's doing now too, which is, which is cool. But I really wanted to kill this deer. Um, he was just a beautiful buck, you know, probably wasn't a real high scoring deer, you know, seventies type buck, I would say, you know, but just really unique and dark horns and big, mature, old, big bodied sucker. But there was another buck that was there in the field in front of us. He was super wide. Um, he didn't have very deep forks, wasn't very heavy, but he was a buck that they have been watching literally for five years. I think he was like a, like a 10 year old type buck, you know, super old. Yeah. Um, so we watched that buck go and leave the field with two other bucks. Um, and then the, the, the big buck left with a herd of 20. So we knew we weren't going to be able to get on him, you know? Yeah. Um, so we just let him go. We went back to town, uh, went back to the lodge, I should say, had a bite to eat, did some shooting. Um, took a little nap and then got back out there in the afternoon. So we, the deer left the field to the east. So we went quite a ways to the south and made a big circle around to see if we could find embedded uh, before he got up to start headed to the field. And um, we ended up finding the, the big wide one. Yeah. So we ended up finding him and um, Travis is um, the outfitter's son. And he said, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, I, I know how it is with mule deer. The more stocks you make, you know, the, the better your odds are. So chances are, we're not going to get him, but he's a mature buck. So let's just give it a try, you know? Um, and the other bucks weren't with him. So we snuck around, he was laying on a South East facing hill slot side. The wind was blowing perfect. Um, everything was just perfect. So we snuck up and we were about 85 yards from him and, uh, he was bedded. And then all of a sudden he stood up and he was kind of looking our way. I think he might've maybe seen one of us, um, just a little bit. So he stood there for about 30 minutes, just looking in our direction. And then he went to feeding and um, then he started kind of feeding towards us. <clears throat> well, he got down in the Canyon in front of us and straight out in front of us was like a finger ridge. And there was a, there was a, a draw on the back side of it and a draw on the front side of it. Well, we saw that he went up the back draw. So we knew it was a perfect time to just take off running and get out in front of him. So when he popped up out of the draw, we were sitting there waiting. Yeah. Well, we made our way across and we got up and as we popped up, he came up out of there and, you know, one of those deals, again, it was quick. Travis ranged him for me at 50. Uh, the wind was actually blowing really hard, you know, probably gusts of 35. Um, so, you know, I, I shoot a, I shoot a four, a four pin movable site. So I got 20, 30, 40, 50. So I didn't have to move anything. Uh, so I drew on him, put it behind his shoulder, uh, made a great release. And, um, 
the wind just really took my arrow and yeah. I hit him in the neck. I hit him in the neck and, you know, I got the main artery and he only went about 30 yards. But as soon as I shot, Travis said, you shot him right in the neck, you know? And I said, and I was just like, no way, you know, I just couldn't believe it because yeah. I made a, I made a really great shot. I thought, you know, felt good and everything was perfect. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that happens sometimes, you know? And, yeah. but fortunately for me, you know, it hit him, it hit him 10 inches to the, to the left of where I was aiming, but it, it got him right at the base of the neck and, you know, he severed the main artery and he didn't go far at all. And, right. um, he was, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking the deer was pushing 30 inches, but when we got up to him, his ears were frozen off. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So his he, ears were frozen off. So he was still oh, 27 inches wide, but he looked so much wider because, you know, nobody really realized that his ears were missing. And so yeah. when he's looking at me there on the horizon, you know, thinking, wow, you know, he's 30 inches inside, you know? And so yeah. it was so funny. We all started laughing. We got up because his ears were, his, you know, two, two, three inches of his ears on the ends were frozen oh, off, yeah. you know, ragged and oh. goofy yeah. looking. But, uh, but he was a great buck. You know, he's uh, right at, right at Pope and Young, maybe a little bit better than Pope and Young, but uh, it was kind of one of those deals where, you know, I had five days to hunt and, or, or, you know, they would have let me stay as long as I would have wanted to most likely. Yeah. But it was one of those deals where I, I really would have loved to chase that, that other deer, but I yeah. also, you know, did good by killing a mature buck. Um, you know, this buck was bigger in previous years, a lot bigger. So it was good to get him out of there and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. But I also was happy because it's tough to kill these deer with a bow. Oh, you know, yeah. It's wide open country. The country is great because it, it makes for, for, for good stocks because of the terrain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you might go three or four days without a breath of wind out there. And if there's no wind, I mean, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So, you know, just to get him killed and, and, uh, it was just really fun. And, and those guys are really great people down there at, at um, Deer Meadows. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just like filling my tag. I just like to shoot. I like to, I like to shoot them. I like everything that comes with it. I like putting them in the truck. I like, skinning them and caping them and spending time with them after the hunt and preparing them to go home. And I love taking the pictures and posting them. And I just love everything about it, man. So I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a score snob. Yeah. Do I want to kill the biggest deer possible? Absolutely. But man, I just love to be successful, whether it's a big one or a small one, or, you know, yeah, even when it's time to, sh to shoot a doe, you know, I just, I love it, you know, so. The longer you do it, the the more important the experience becomes to you and yeah. I, I think that that's true for for everybody uh, i mean you have your goals for what you want to take and i mean like that muley he's i love framey muleys man you oh know, yeah yeah big wide framey muleys where you can see every point when you're looking straight on at them and and yep. that one's the epitome of that um but you know how you do it becomes equally important to you know, how big the animal is or what he actually scores. You know, we all like to, I think the longer you do it, the more of a thrill it becomes just to take those older animals, you know, yeah. even if yeah. they aren't ones that are going to score that great. It's just an old wise animal. And it, it's, it gives you that, that little kick that you're looking for. Um, That's right. And we've always said too, you know, our job literally at bone collector is not to kill the biggest animals on the planet. Our job is to number one, get as many people involved as, in hunting as we can. Yeah. Get, get license sales up and, and just celebrate the hunting lifestyle. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, that are on TV and are doing stuff within the industry kind of forget that, you know, we need to promote hunting for everybody. And, and there's not a lot of guys that get to go out and do that kind of stuff. So, now, if you're a guy from Pennsylvania or even Georgia, for that matter, or, or places or, you know, Utah or, or Wyoming, where you might not have a, a ranch to hunt and you have to hunt public land. I mean, just to get people out and enjoy the experiences. Yes. I want to go and I want to kill one. I mean, yeah. that's why I'm going. That's why I'm yeah. going. I'm going to kill something. You know, I, I want to fill my tag. But at the end of the day, our job as, you know, hunting personalities and, and TV show hosts and ambassadors of hunting our job is to get people involved. And so I'm just happy getting it done in any form or fashion. You know, I just, I just love it and I never get sick of it. So it's, it's great. So was the next deer, the big deer? Yeah. So then, uh, I kind of had the, 
the middle to the end of October off. Um, first week in, in November, we always go out there to Hooray Ranch in Kansas. And uh, Eric um, at Hooray has a, a duck hunting operation. They hunt on about, uh, he owns about 14,000 acres, I believe, in different pieces. Um, and he's got his big lodge and everything. So it's seven star. I mean, every meal is like eating at Ruth's Chris. And yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous how good they take care of you, you know? Yeah. And so four years ago, um, he, he used to take about 20 to 30 rifle hunters a year. And it was a, it was a, it was an expensive hunt. I believe it was like a $10,000 hunt. Um, you know, but the habitat's great, a lot of mature big bucks. And so guys that are paying that kind of money to come, they end up shooting the deer and, and they sh shoot mature deer. But I think kind of people were feeling like if they were paying that, you know, big money to come and hunt the deer, which a lot of it is about the experience at Hooray, it's just phenomenal. Um, but I kind of feel like, you know, they were figuring that if they spent a lot of money to come there and hunt, they, they deserve to kill a 170. And as we all know, Oh the yeah, because places in the world don't produce 170s on a regular basis, right? They're just around every bush. So Eric, Eric just kind of got to where he was just, you know, he just didn't want to really take gun hunters anymore because he didn't feel like he was living up to their expectations, and you know, people were kind of complaining, and so he just said, "You know what? I'm done taking gun hunters. It's bow hunting only now." And he told Michael and I and T Bone, he said, "You guys are welcome to have it. You can bring guests if you need to." Or, um, you know, we'll do a hunt winter every year. We'll donate a hunt and then I'll bring my friends. And so on all of our properties, we'll have maybe 10, 12 guys hunting, you know? Yeah. So we were like, heck yeah, that sounds great. So what happened then is all these top end bucks on the properties, if they didn't get killed with a bow, they got to live a couple more years. And I mean, this yeah. year was just ridiculous. I mean, on the one farm, there was a buck I killed. There was another buck that was um, a big six by six with splits everywhere. And he was probably had like 50 inches of mass. I mean, he was a 200 inch deer. There was another buck Waddell was hunting. That was a basically a mainframe eight with about 20 extra inches around his brows. I mean, he was close to 200. There was three or four huge five by fives that were 170. Our yeah. buddy Tom Nelson, our, our buddy Tom, um, he ended up killing a buck that was, uh, I think it was 188, big 10 pointer wow. with a couple stickers. I mean, so it's just ridiculous what happened out there, you know? Yeah. So we knew of the buck that I was, that I was hunting and, uh, first couple of days, the wind wasn't right. So I, I couldn't get in there. And so then the day I got in there, um, we hunted it in the morning, didn't see much, left all of our stuff in the stand. And then, um, that evening, man, it was just one of those nights, super high pressure, crystal clear, um, light, light wind. And I just, you know, going into the stand, I just, I told my camera guy, Jacob, I said, look, man, this is it. I mean, this, these are the nights where they really move well. So we got to be on our toes. And as soon as we get in here, we got to get ready fast because these deer are going to be moving. You know, we got in there at like 2.30, 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So we got up in the stand and I got settled and he got set and he was just clicking on his camera when all of a sudden to my left, I hear a deer coming running through the brush. And here comes a doe with a 150 inch eight pointer mm -hmm. right on her heels. They run out in front of us um, and go into the timber. Well, the story is just a roller coaster. So when I climb up in my stand, I get all my stuff set and I reach for my rangefinder to range a few spots and my rangefinder was gone. It had oh. broken off my lanyard. Yeah. So now I'm in the stand. I don't have my rangefinder and I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? Yeah. So then when this deer runs by, I'm like, oh crap. Well then he runs by, I talk to the camera a little bit and it isn't a minute and a half later, I hear something coming and I tell my camera, guy, here comes one, here comes one. I look over and I go, it's a giant, you know? So the buck comes out and it's the big one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He comes out and he's out there, um, out to the left, out in front of me to the South, Southeast. And now he's bird dogging out in the, in the CRP to try to find that buck and doe that just ran. Right. Right. And so I grunt at him a few times and he comes a little bit closer. Now he's standing there, you know, between 40 and 50. And I kind of figured him for about 43, 44 yards. And usually I'm pretty close within two yards. So, but I just didn't want to shoot. It was just, you know, I didn't have my range finder. So I just was like, I just don't want to cripple him or blow my shot, you know? So then he cuts across and he goes out in front of us and he's standing in these little small trees and he's, he's again, you know, he's right in between 40 and 50. And again, I just, I didn't want to shoot. So he went into the trees and I was just like, 
beside myself because I just knew he was huge. I didn't think he was two two ten. Right. Um, I figured he was high one eighties type buck, you know, and <laughs> um, and and to be honest with you, I didn't know it. it I, I just didn't get a chance to look at my binoculars. As soon as I saw him, I knew I was killing him. So I didn't get to study him. I didn't realize at the time that he was the big deer I was in there to hunt. Right. Right. So, uh, so he leaves and over to my right, another 140 inch buck pops out and he's cruising around and then back to my left, another buck, you know, pops out. Well, then I bend over to do something and I hit my release and it falls down out of the tree. Oh my I, God. This, this past summer, I just started shooting a thumb release. I had always shot just a, a wrist, you know, trigger release. It is connected to your wrist all the time. Yeah. And so I, you know, over the years, I had seen people just leaving their, their, their thumb releases hanging from the string in the tree. And I asked people, aren't you worried that that thing's going to fall off there? And they say, oh, it has a few times. I don't worry about it, whatever. So I, so, you know, hesitantly, I clipped my release on there. I let it hang oh. and I hit, I bumped it and it fell off. So now I'm like, oh crap, you know? So I'm like, I got, uh, and, and as soon as it fell off, I think I said a cuss word and my, my camera guy goes, what's wrong? I go, I dropped my release. He's like, no way. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, I gotta go get it. You know? <laughs> so, oh, you, you didn't have a backup in your pack. Well, I did, but I forgot I had it, you know, I had my old yeah, okay, pack. Yeah, I didn't even did. think about it. Panicked. So I swing around and I'm in, I got a lifeline. So I swing around and I pull my lifeline down and I'm standing on the steps all of a sudden. I hear him go, here he comes. So I look up. <laughs> so I look up and that big eight point runs and he just lopes just right yeah. underneath the tree stand. And I'm yeah. like, no way. So I wait for a second. I look, I don't see the big buck. So I shimmy down, grab my release, shimmy back up, get back in the stand. And uh, so then as I'm sitting there looking now a big, big old eight pointer with a with four on his left, four on his right and a big extra main beam that comes out. He stands up and he's with a doe. And they're walking around and they walk into about 45 yards. And I just decide I'm just not, you know, I don't have my range finder. First of all, if I had, I probably would have shot him, but I just decided, no, I'm not taking that shot either. So they leave and all, all heck breaks loose. I mean, literally it was like the best night of big buck hunting I've ever had. I mean, saw two or three bucks over 140, the big one. So then after it kind of quiets down a little bit, it takes about an hour. I turned to my camera guy. I said, all right, I'm going to rattle, you know, just yeah. be ready because he's probably going to come charging in here, you know? And so, uh, I just grabbed the, the, you know, we have bone collector game calls. I grabbed a little rattle bag. I think it's called bag of bones and smacked it together, rustled it around for about five seconds. Um, I got my pack open. So I just dropped in my pack to look up and man, here he comes right out of the timber. The big one. And he's walk, Yeah. And he's walking towards, oh, here he comes, you know, and Jacob, my camera guy says, I can't see him. I said, well, he's behind that big tree right there. And he's just standing there looking. So don't move. So we just both held still and then he starts slowly coming, slowly coming. Um, so I waited until he got behind the big tree and then I turned, I grabbed my bow and I didn't even look at, I didn't even look at my bow. I just put my hand up through, you know, I, I use a, um, a, a strap. I put my hand up through there, grab it, bring it around. And when I go to put my, my release on my string, I look at my arrow had fallen off. <laughs> so now I'm like really crap my pants. <laughs> so when I'm out, when I'm out West, when I'm mule deer hunting and elk, hunting, I always have my quiver on, but a lot of times when I'm, when I'm deer hunting for, for whitetails, I just take my quiver off and hang it on the tree. Just yeah. less of a blob makes less movement. So now I got to turn around. I got to pull an arrow out. He's 30 yards. So now, you know, the lucky, the, for the first, the first part, when I saw him the first time, my heart was beating like crazy. I was shaken, you know, because Number one, I was nervous because I didn't know the range. Number two, biggest buck I've ever had underneath me. Um, yeah. And so I was really, you know, just jacked up, like super nervous, a lot of anxiety, shaking, you know, my knee was, was clicking. And that usually doesn't happen to me. Usually I hold it together really well. So the well, second time when he comes in, I was completely calm because I had just it's, blown it's all my adrenaline. Because the panic button gets hit. When, it, when everything goes exactly like it's supposed to, everything's, you, you know, you're like, okay, you can kind of go into that mode where I'm going to take care of business right now, even if it's a big critter and, you know, you're, you're fighting the nerves just a little bit. But when something goes wrong, when there's that, yep. the release falls out of the tree, the arrow falls off, and yep. all, of the, all of your plans and all of the things that you prepared for kind of go to the wayside, I... It's, 
those things hit the panic button on me. And that's when disasters happen for me most of the time. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and it, I think it feels like you were in that. You had the panic button hit a couple of times. I did. I did. And luckily for me, the first time he came was when I had the adrenaline dump. So the second time I was completely calm. I, I mean, yeah. I, li- I literally, my heart didn't even elevate. Yeah. So I put the, you know, I put my, my arrow on my string and, and I even had, I even, cause I got these little tactic cams all over in the trees and on the end of my bow, I even reached in my pocket slowly and hit the remote control for my tactic cams and then clipped on and got turned and, then he came and of course he went behind the biggest gnarliest dead tree on the whole bottom like an old osage orange tree you know how those things are just nasty oh, and gnarly yeah. yeah he went behind there and so so jacob said i don't have him you know because I, I started to draw and i drew on him and then he stopped and he was standing there for 20 30 seconds probably and so i just started to let down and as, as i started to let down he took off walking and so i just came back to full draw turned and as he came through there was like a probably a volleyball size maybe maybe a little bit smaller hole and that was going to be my only shot and so um you know jacob's four feet to my right so he can kind of see around that tree a little bit better um and i just said you got in there he said yeah and i just I just stopped him and he stopped right when i did it and he was quartered away hard and i just put it right in there and instantly i could just see blood flying out so i knew i hit that artery and it went right up in his lungs you know and yeah man it was just i couldn't believe it you know it was just like such a roller coaster. Then he ran off into the timber. And so we talked a little bit, gave him a little bit of time, climbed down out of the stand. And I was just uh, commenting to the camera about how I went from obviously the bottom of the barrel to right straight to the top of the mountain, you know? Yeah. So we walk over to the edge of the trees. And as I kind of get into that open timber, I peek in and I see a really nice big buck walking away in the trees. I'm like, there is no way. That that's him. so i was like crap you know so i just kind of got down on my knees and i watched him walk away and i just couldn't see him very good and he didn't have his tail up or anything. he had his tail down and he was just walking through the timber and so then i just started glassing i, I was just like you know because i heavy blood at first and then it completely went away because i shot him high and my arrow didn't exit so the blood that was squirting out initially left a great trail but then he, he started running inside so then i stopped and i was right on the edge of the timber i just started glassing i was just like i know he's dead just because the first your first in- instinct is your best, you know, Yeah. just like that yeah. elk in Wyoming. As soon as I hit him, I knew, you know, I knew. Yeah. Um, so I started glassing. I found him. He was, he was just laying 80 yards in the timber and man went over there. And I mean, when I pulled up his horns, it automatically hit me like, this is the buck we were in here for. You know, I didn't realize it right at first because I just never had a chance to study him. You know, usually, usually you see him come, you get your binoculars up and you can look, Oh yeah, that's him. Yeah. Um, it just all happened so fast. And so, um, he just grew on me tremendously on the ground. And it's one of only three deer that I've ever shot that actually grew. I killed one in Eastern Colorado one year that I thought was low one sixties and he was ended up being one seventy five. And then the, this, the strip deer that I shot, um, we thought, I thought he was right at two twenty. you know, he grew 25 inches. And then this buck, you know, I figured him to be pushing one ninety, but he was two ten, and, um, just a body like you, I mean, just a big fat slob, just monster. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've put, I've put two whitetail bucks that were, um, two fifty on the button on the scale and this deer just dwarfed him. I mean, he was just huge. You know, he was, he was 300 all day long for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but just, a just a blessing. And, you know, I never, I never thought I'd literally would ever get to get kill a 200 inch just because of the way we hunt, you know, we're five days here, five days there. And, we just don't ever get to target big bucks like that and stick on them for the season. You know, people, um, people that own farms and stuff, you know, they have to hunt their farm the year round. And if they got a big deer, chances are, you know, after hunting a lot, you'll get an encounter with them and, and get them killed maybe. But the way we do it, we just don't have a chance at those kind of deer a lot. And we usually kill the first big one that comes by. So, um, I was just really fortunate to, to get an arrow in this deer and, um, you know, Eric that owns Hooray, he, he calls me 210 now every time he sees me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was just really just a surreal moment. And kind of the coolest part of it all was my wife was in camp. And when we got back oh, to the house, there. yeah, when we got back to the house that evening there, there was a big party going on. They've got this place that's back in the cottonwoods where they do some pheasant shoots. And it's a, it's kind of a, kind of a tower shoot that they do back there, but there's a bar underneath of it. And, they've got a huge outdoor fireplace out there and it's just this big, awesome 
venue that they've got back there. And, you know, there's 30, 40 people back there and, you know, duck hunters and some deer hunters and then friends of, of, uh, the owners of the place were there. And so when we pulled in back there, it was just, you know, everybody gathered around the truck and T-Bone handed me a chicken wing as soon as I got out of the truck. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it was, it was phenomenal, man. Just to, you know, not only be able to shoot a deer like that, but then just to be able to come back and celebrate. And, you know, the great part about it is just, you know, everybody's happy for you. You know, there's no jealousy. Well, I shouldn't say that, you know, cause anytime somebody kills a big deer, I'm jealous, but I always, you know, <laughs> I'm happy for them, but jealous, you know, cause I just, yeah. I just love this. I just love this so much. And I just love to get an arrow on a big animal, but um, just the whole experience there at Hooray Ranch is just phenomenal. So that, can't, uh, that can't remember is, a better night. He's really a neat looking buck. He, you know, whose buck he reminds me of is that giant that Randy Walk killed a few years ago in Kansas. Um, just kind of the, it doesn't it look like it to you, Evan, like the, the shape of the frame and everything. Um, yeah. oh, Evan's, Evan's equipment has failed us again. So, Evan, <laughs> you, but he's sitting there giving us a thumbs up. He's got a big <laughs> smile on his face. So that's, yes, good. he does, man. <laughs> it's an, it's an incredible deer and you know, it's significant to me because I've, I've, like I said, ever since that big muley that I saw you kill a few years back, I've really paid attention to Nick Munt. Um, and man, you're, you're, you are a big deer killer. I mean, well, you, thanks man. I, you take advantage of your opportunities. I always tell people, you know, whatever hunt you're on and, um, uh, wherever you go, you're, you're doing good. If you have one good solid opportunity on that hunt, that's and, me too, man. And you've got to be, you've got to be ready to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, that's the key to the guys that get it done consistently and the guys that are more middle of the road or don't. Um, the guys that get it done consistently are good at taking advantage of that opportunity that comes along. And you're one of those guys. I mean, I honestly believe that. Um, and when, when I saw this deer that you killed this year, I was like, oh, well, it's no surprise, you know, <laughs> like Nick, Nick does that kind of thing. But, uh, um, congratulations, man. Congratulations. Oh. Was that, uh, it, you know, you, when we were setting up the podcast here, you were showing Evan and I, your, your game room in there. Um, and it looks like you're, you're still working on some things around there. Um, and your line of deer on that, on that wall is super, super impressive. I mean, you need to take all those one day. I don't know if you've already done it and, and do the stereotypical barn shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's not very many guys that would have a barn shot like yours. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, you know, I gotta, I gotta hand it to a lot of people that have helped me through, through the years, specifically the guys at Realtree and Waddell, of course. And, um, my, my father-in-law has a horse, is a, is a horse vet. He's got a barn, um, that he, that, uh, he boards horses in and he's got a sign in the barn that really means a lot. Um, it says, um, when doors open, there's usually somebody on the other side opening the door for you. So, you know, I, I just am really grateful to the people that have helped me get here. You know, years ago, I met David Blanton and yeah, in Wyoming, I guided him. Uh, 7G Outfitters and I was a guide there and he got me, you know, started on the TV side of things. And so, you know, the Realtree group and, and Michael and, um, you know, just got a lot of great people that support us and sponsor us, you know, Hoyt being a, a huge part of what we do. And, and um, you know, I just love, I love the Hoyt bows and, and everything they've helped me to accomplish. And so, you know, I just, uh, I'm grateful to do it. And, try to stay grounded as well as we can, because, you know, we, we really do feel lucky to, uh, you know, to be able to get to hunt so many different places and, and make a, make a living, you know, doing what we do is second to none. And you know, it took a long time to get here. You know, don't, I don't take that for granted. You know, people, right. people think you just step into this role, but you know, it took me almost 20 years just to get to where I was, you know, getting to uh, be in front of the camera and get to pull the trigger a little bit. You know, I was a, I was a guide for, a lot of years in Wyoming and Montana and, um, and then, you know, went to work for Realtree and I ran camera there for almost 10 years. And so, um, you know, it took a lot of work to get to this position, but I, I really am blessed and I'm, you know, I appreciate those, those words, brother. That's, 
that's really nice. Thank you so much. Well, it's no sweat, man. Well, you're you're a class act. We like having you on here. We we got to talking about your season so much that we didn't get to talk about half a dozen other things that I'd love to talk to you about, like the the new bows this year. And uh, there's there's many other things we want to have you back on sometime soon. Um, Absolutely. A, a little over an hour here, so we'll probably cut it off for today. But you're not going to be any stranger to this podcast. We'll do it again sometime here real quick. Um, and so anyway, for everyone out there, on behalf of Nick, on behalf of Silent Bob, my partner over there, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for having technical difficulties. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, please uh, uh, be sure to watch out for the next episode. And we will talk to you sometime soon, Nick. You take care, brother. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this opportunity. And get out there and get yourself a Hoyt. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all right. See you guys.